Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the award-winning writer Will Storr. Will's written several fascinating books about the way human beings live. His latest is The Status Game, which investigates our need to judge ourselves against others. In recovery, we're taught how to be happy within ourselves by ignoring what other people think. As someone once said to me, comparing is despairing. But are we really able to ignore all that stuff or are we programmed to obsess constantly over our status? I'll let Will answer that. Will's a great writer, a really intelligent bloke, and all of his books have a great way of making big, complex ideas hugely compelling. I really enjoyed talking to him. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Well, Storr, welcome to The Reset. Thank you, Sam. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, mate. Um, the book is fantastic. It's uh, It leads very much on from your previous works as well that I've, I've interviewed you about um, selfie in the past, uh, the heretics as well. Um, uh, tell us about the background and how those previous books sort of led to, to this one. Yeah, so they're all about kind of what makes people tick, really. Uh, uh, the Heretics was about why people, particularly smart people, end up believing crazy things. That was like the mystery that I wanted to solve with that book. And Selfie was very much about, um, well, it's about the self. It's about you know, who we are and why we are how we are. Um, and, but it's particularly from the from the perspective of the of the West, the individualist West. So why are we so you know self obsessed in the West? That was the question there, and um, and both of the both of the both of those books were really about the size of the storytelling brain. You know they, they, that was the kind of the, the idea that controlled both of those books that we experience our lives as a story. But with this book, what I wanted to do was sort of get underneath the hood because because the idea was like if if we experience life as a story, 
what's going on in our subconscious, what's actually sort of going on beneath that kind of story that we experience as real. So, so, so that, that's what the status game is about. That's my attempt at answering that question. And you and and in this book, what you suggest right from the get go is that we are all, whether we like it or not, as human beings, engaged in a game. That's right. Yeah, you know, life is a series of games, and and the reason for that is because of the the history of our evolution. So you know, we're, we're a tribal species. We, you know, we, we like, you know, we exist as members of highly cooperative tribes. Um, but but we don't do that anymore. We don't, we're not living on the African savanna anymore. You know, we're not we, we don't li- live in literal tribes anymore. But we're members of multiple tribes. You know, multiple psychological tribes. We you know that our football team is a tribe. Our you know our, our job is a tribe. Our political group is a tribe. Um, and, and they're kind of games. You know, they're games in the sense that they're collections of like-minded people that have these rules by which we kind of play and award status. If you're you know if you're you know, you know, playing football. If you score a goal, you earn status. If you're, um, you know, if you're in a political group, you you win an election, you earn status, or you, you do well for the political group, you earn status. You go up and down. So, so, so this is the kind of structure of human social life. We, we, you know, we, humans do life as a series of these games that we play for status. Mm. And you and you outline the three sort of ways in which we define status, the three sort of different types of status that, that seem to exist in human beings. So that's what they are. Yeah, so, so, so there's loads of different ways we play for status. It's, you know, things like looks, um, age, you know, sometimes young gets a status, sometimes old gets a status, depending on the context. But broadly speaking, there are three different kinds of status game that we play. And the first game is kind of older than even being human, and that's dominance games. So dominance games is all about force. Like you force somebody to attend to you in status, to allow yourself to, to, to permit you to be of influence. So that, that's either physical force or threat, bullying, coercion. So those are dominance games. Um, but then when we became human, we started playing these different kinds of games, these games of reputation. And how they worked in the in the days of the tribe were, um, you know, if we if we prove that we were valuable to the tribe, that we put the tribe's interest before our own, we'd earn prestige. And there, there are two ways of earning this kind of prestigious status. One is by being virtuous. So back in the day, if we'd have been generous with our meat or courageous in battle or good, good at following the rules, we'd have earned virtue-based status and people thought well of us because we were a virtuous, selfless person. And then the other way is obviously with success. You know, back in the day, if we'd have been a successful honey finder, storyteller, warrior, uh, we'd have also earned status. And if you think about that, dominance, virtue and success, they're still the games that we play today. You know, life hasn't changed that much. Those are the three ways that we award each other kind of status. I guess uh, one of my questions with regards to mental health, because so much of this sort of ties into the stuff that we discuss in this podcast about mental health. A lot of it sort of reminds me of the sort of stuff that you learn in recovery from addiction um, about, you know, the the... When you recover from addiction, and and I think not even addiction, but a lot of different sort of problems that people face in mental health, a, a lot of stuff that you get told and you have to learn is about releasing your sort of attachment to, um, you know, how other people perceive you, right? Yeah. So in many ways, when I'm reading your book, I'm thinking status is is this is almost at the heart of what kind of drives all of our insecurities and anxieties and often depression and and actually when you're trying to sort of get sober or recover from any kind of trauma people are just saying just let go of that shit so i suppose what i'm interested to hear from you is 
is this inevitable? You're saying this is a, a, evolutionary, right? It's almost it, it's genetic now. Um, is it possible for people to let go of this? No, it isn't. I mean, it really isn't. We, you know, we, we, we've been competing with status since, since before we were human. You know, mm. animals compete with status. My dogs compete with each other for status. Mm. You know, like, like it, 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 the reason it's the reason it's so fundamental to to our behaviour is because it's directly connected to survival and reproduction. Mm. So when, when we were evolving, the more status we had in our tribe, the better food we had, mm. the safer our sleeping sites, um, the better our kids were treated. Um, uh, the better our choice to our access of mates. So, so it's this basic heuristic, it's basic rule in the brain, go for status. And if you go for status, everything else gets better. So, so you, you do hear this a lot, this idea of, oh, you should stop comparing yourself to other people. But it's completely impossible because that's the status game. We, we're designed to do that. Mm. As soon as you walk out of your door and you have a social encounter, part of your brain, whether you like it or not, is judging that person. Are they a good mm. person? Are they a bad person? Do we like them or don't we like them? Up and down, up and down. That's that's what's going on all the time in our heads as we, we interact with people and they're, and they're treating us that way too. And we get a sense of what they think of us. Mm. And so, so you, you can't, you can't get rid of that. Um, that's stuff that's going on in our heads. I mean, some, I mean, in the book I talk about, you know, mindfulness meditation is sometimes seen as this kind of cure for, you know, the status striving. And, and I've no doubt that, 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 that if, you're, if you get really good at that, you know, mindfulness meditation, it, it might lessen your anxiety about status, but it can't get rid of it. There was one amazing study they did in the University of uh, Amsterdam, I think it was, um, whereby um, um, they, they took 3,700 uh, people who did mindfulness meditation. And specifically, they meditated to get rid of their ego needs. Um, and they found that they that they scored really high in what they called spiritual superiority. So these people, you know, they, they got into meditation. They started feeling pretty good about themselves. And actually, they started thinking, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm better than you and I'm better than you because I've got all these insights into the world yeah. that you don't have. And, you know, it's funny, but it's also we can completely recognize it because that's human behavior. That's what we're like. Yeah. So, so, so you can't, you, you know, you can't get rid of it unless like the Hikikomori in Japan, you kind of shut yourself in a room and just get rid of all of human contact. And that but I suppose you can, I mean, that that's an example of you changing the rules or the criteria by which you judge your own status and that of others. And there are healthy and unhealthy ways to define that. And we, we do have some control over that. For instance, I would say that, you know, Donald Trump's criteria for what, you know, constitutes his status in society or any human state society varies wildly from yours or mine or various other people. So we, we can sort of make a, a sort of a conscious decision to think, right, these are the criteria by which I'm going to judge myself in life. And then you set about pursuing that. Is, is, is that possible? And is that a yeah. healthier way of looking at it? That is possible. Uh, you know, life is full of games that we can play. You know, there are so many games that we can play. We are limited somewhat by things like, you know, by genes, by what we're good at. Uh, and, and actually, you know, people think about genes, about what we're good at. But I think more important is what we're enthusiastic about. You know, we're only going to get good. We're only going to get earned status in a certain kind of game. If we're enthusiastic about that game, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I started to I wanted to be a pop star, tried to play the guitar. It was terrible. I had no talent, you know, so I was constrained by that. But, but, you, but you're right. I mean, I always think about, um, you know, you know virtue-based stages, for example. You, you could join the Samaritans tomorrow, and, and after your induction and your training, you're, you're literally saving lives. I mean, that's an yeah. incredible that's an incredible yeah. status game to play. You, you know, you're a hero then, you know, you yeah. are, you know. So, 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 yeah, I think that's, that's the way around it. I think the idea that stop stop craving status is, is is not only naive, it's quite dangerous, you know, because I think a lot of depression 
in my experience and what it says in the literature, a lot of depression is about people feeling they don't have sufficient status. Mm. They're not valued enough by other people mm. and, and they're surrounded by evidence that they're not good enough. And I think that's what drives a lot of this misery that we, that we, that we see around us and we experience day to day. I agree with that. But I think that, you know, almost good advice is to sort of switch switch the game you're playing. So you say, you know, you wanted to be a pop star, but you weren't great at playing guitar. And there was a point quite early in my childhood where I realised I was never going to have the talent to to make it as a footballer. I loved football. It was all I wanted to do, but I was pretty shit at football, right? And I was sort of... But I, I that could have really plagued me for a, for a very long time had I not sort of thought, well, I'm going to get good at something else because this isn't for me. I suppose, you you know, some people might get too attached. And I, I can think of long periods in my life where I've flogged a dead horse, where there's something that I've wanted to achieve. There, there probably is a status I've wanted to achieve. And it took me too long because you get too wrapped up. Because it's all, all these games have their own sort of mad contrived sets of rules, don't they? And actually, a lot of them just aren't real. But it, once you're caught up in them, right? So the playground is a good example, isn't it? Because when you're in the playground, there are certain things that might just be the trainers you're wearing or something like that, or how far you can throw a tennis ball over the roof or, or some, some mad criteria that <laughs> define your status in the playground. Yeah. If you go home and cry to your mum and dad and say, Oh, I'm shit throwing this tennis ball. I'm like, I'm literally like the worst in the, in the year at doing it. And your mum or your dad go, yeah, but it, it really doesn't matter at all. And you're like, they don't understand. This is my world that I am in. So I guess I'm interested in that because obviously what I'm trying to establish here is, is there a way out of this sort of, you know, the toxic pursuit of status that, that can lead to depression when we just sort of think, well, I'm only pursuing a false status in, in, in by a bunch of rules that other people have defined and that don't really matter too much. Is, is understanding that important, do you think, for, for our sense of self and our sense of value? Yeah, I mean, what, what you say is exactly right. And this is what I write about in the, in the book is, is that these games are imaginary. The, the, mm. the, it's like Monopoly is imaginary. There's not really, you know, hotels and, and you know, houses that we're buying. And even when you do, even when you do buy hotels and houses, you, you know, that's imaginary too. Like we're symbolic creatures. We, we experience the world symbolically. And the things, you know, you know the things that we use to symbolise status are, are just symbols. In the book, I write about this um, island in... Micronesia called Pompeii, where they play this status game around yams, and they got that, and they have these feasts. The chiefs hold these feasts, and um, whoever grows the biggest yam, they're declared number one of the island. And um, you know it's, what happens on the island is, is that people just get obsessed with growing massive yams, and they 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 grow these yams that are so big they take twelve ma- men to carry them into the to, 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 to the stretcher on poles. So yeah. they're just obsessed with yams. They get out of their bed at two in the morning to tend to their yams, and they're, they they're secretly grown in the forest where nobody can see them. And that's what humans are like, you know. Like your example of throwing the trainer yeah. over the it's perfect yeah. example of how crazy this stuff can get. And um. And yeah, and yeah so, 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 so we play these kind of imaginary kind of status games using these imaginary symbols. Um, you know, at school, I, I, being good at sports was a, was a, was a thing. You got status mm-hmm. if you're good at sports, but I was terrible at sports. So I, I decided to try and be the funny guy, you know, try and make mm-hmm. everyone laugh because that was another route to status. So, so, so yeah, you know, I think that's one of the kind of comforting things is that so many of the things that we get caught so caught up in and get so obsessed with are just just silly. You know, they, 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 they're kind of they kind of 
on the surface silly but what isn't silly is that that status is this kind of fundamental need it's it's like a psychological nutrient we need it like our bodies need protein and carbohydrates and without it we, we get depressed and, and even suicidal so so yeah i mean I, you know I, I think as you said before the the answer is you know ch- choose your game if the game that you're playing if, if you're never gonna get to where you feel valued that, that then then choose something else but society changes and the broad rules that society set or the broad criteria set sometimes they can be really valuable i suppose and, and as you point out in the book you know this this desire for status has driven like human civilization in 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 innumerable kind of positive ways so without it we we probably wouldn't exist in the way we do today so that that's great but other times we might have very toxic criteria so you know, you mentioned how things have changed a lot since the 80s, since Thatcherism, uh, and the, the, the criteria for, for what defines our status changed quite fundamentally then. Is that right? Yeah, so I wrote about this, as you know, because we talked about Selfie a few years ago, and, yeah. I, and I also wrote about this in Selfie, and this idea that, um, you, you know, when we're born, we're born with these semi-finished brains, and what the brain wants to know, you know, what it spends our childhood working out is, who have I got to be? So who have I got to be in this place in order to earn, you know, connection and status? And a lot of that is down to our culture, or a huge amount of that is down to our culture. Different cultures produce different kinds of people who play different kinds of status games. And in our culture in the West, you know, a lot of that is driven by the economy. So if you think about who we were in, you know, 1965, 1960, you know, late 60s, in the West, we were these kind of collectively minded hippie anti-materialistic types because that's that's that was the economy it was a collective economy high unionization high taxation uh, lots of regulations on big banking and business it was quite a communal mm. um you know world and, and that's who we became and then of course that changed in the 80s with thatcher and reagan the neoliberal revolution and what the neoliberal revolution was all about was getting rid of all that communitarian collective stuff get rid of all the regulations, get rid of the unions, you know, all about competition, 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 competition. That's what Thatcher and Reagan were all about. And then that's who we became. You know, we changed. You think about who we were in 1985 versus 1965. In 85, we were in Wall Street, you know, saying greed is good as a people. Mm. And I know that's a big generalisation, but generally speaking, that's that's what happened. A massive, radical, complete revolution in, in the Western self between, a, you know, in, in a very short period of time. And it matches you know, the, the changes in the economy. So, so it is, it, 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 you know, we're still those people today, you know, what's happened, we're still neoliberal, but we've got social media now. So there's even more pressure to kind of feel perfect and feel that we've got to play these very kind of me focused um, games. So, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the things that interests me most about all this is, is this, is this, this idea that we are kind of malleable, that we are very vulnerable to the rules of the world in which we exist. And and where are we at now? Do you think at this point in the twenty first century? Do you think that? I mean, do you? I, I sometimes look and think. I think things have softened even in the last ten years culturally in 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 a lot of society. You know, we focus a lot on the the anger and the rage and the and the conflict that that exists politically and and particularly how it's expressed on social media. But in many ways, we've become a little bit more sensitive and understanding of each other's vulnerabilities. Um, do, do you, you know, where do you think this is all heading? Do you think that social media is still just a, a force for kind of, you know, creating a toxic status game, or do you think things <laughs> uh, might be improving? 
Well, yes. Yeah, so, 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 you know, my take on what's happened, and, and this is just a sense, you know, going by the ideas of himself in the status game, is that, is that, you know, right up until the financial crisis, we were still being very neoliberal, very individualistic. You know, selfie was very much about that, that me, 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 um, selfie-taking culture. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, things seem to have changed after the financial crisis. There was a general sense out there that the game was fixed. Um, uh, millennials and, you know, Gen Zs that came after them, there was a sense that things were harder and harder for them, that they that they were earning less, that there were not enough jobs for, for them, especially university educated people who were underemployed, um, you know, hard to get on the housing ladder and so on and so on and so on. You know, they were poorer than the, their, their, their parents. The first generation were poorer than their parents. And so with, with, with that, I think, has come a kind of tightening up, a kind of reversion to a bit more of that um, virtue based status, you know, like mm. from the 80s up until 2008 it was very much success success-based stages. I want to be successful. Mm. You know, greed is good man in the eighties, but you know, right up until the, you know, the YouTube generation, me, me, me. And then now I think we were in. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Much more of a virtue-based world, um, and you know, there's been a, there's been a, there's been that reversion, and I think that's good and bad. I, th- I think you know we have an increased consciousness about you know important issues of social justice, but morality, there's virtue games are always yin and yang. They're always equal light and dark because you know part of being a virtuous person is by being is being tribal is by sticking up for the rules of our game, and when we think when, when we think people are challenging the status of our group, we attack. And that's how we gain status with our group. You know, we're we're a, you know, we're often a warrior species. You know, tribal war is in our is in our heritage. And you know, you've only got to go on social media to look at that today. So so, so yeah, I think you know you can look at it as a softening up, but it's also a toughening up. You know, think you know things are pretty aggressive on social media and have been since, you know, since the financial crisis. You know, what's funny, they, you know, I used to always think that social media competition on social media, a lot of time was about materialism or looks or superficialities, like who was living the most exciting or glamorous lifestyle. But now, and I, it might just be because of my age, but you do see just as much, if not more competition around people 
posting political or moralistic positions that they think that they that, that you can't help cynically sit there and think, oh, you're just trying to make out that you're on a higher moral plateau than the rest of us, or you're living a more, you know, virtuous life. Um, so, but I'd never really considered it until I, I read this that that's basically almost the same thing. But surely, well, it's better if people have fallen over themselves to prove that they've they've got more moral fibre and are more giving and sensitive. It's better than perhaps the same people 10 years ago competing to show they've got a better car or better six pack. It's got to be better for society broadly. Well, it depends because, because as I say, morality is yin and yang. You know, you know, when we think about being selfless and giving, we, we tend to be, we, we tend to be selfless and giving to our own people, but not to people out, out, you know, outside our group. So Hitler thought he was a moral man. Mm. Uh, Stalin thought he was a moral mm. man. These people thought they were they, they were saving the world from from the threat of the jury on in Hitler's behalf, on Hitler's in from Hitler's perspective, or the threat of the you know the bourgeoisie and the Tsarist class mm. for the communists. You know the, the, the you know the the, the the kind of the wealthy you know p- people. So so. The, you know the worst things that have ever been done on this on this earth have been done for moral reasons uh, for, and for, for reasons that the people kind of carrying out those acts thought were justified. So, so, so you know, morality is is a dangerous game. So you know, it, it's weird because it's it's the best of us, but equally it's the worst of us because it's about sticking up for our groups. And, you know, and then you know, in the, one of the things I write about in the book is, is status games that, that form around beliefs. So, so there's a certain kind of status game you can play where to get access into the game, you've just got to believe something. So religion is a bit like that. Do you believe in Jesus and the resurrection? Yes. Okay. You're a Christian. You're in, mm. but, 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 but once you're in that group, once you're in that game to earn status, you've got to kind of allow that belief to, in, to kind of possess you. You've got to act that belief out in the world. And the better you do that, the higher you rise in status. And in the book, I you know, interviewed a, an anti-vaxxer, who had that experience, you know, she, she was vaccine hesitant and was accepted into this Facebook group, but only really earned status in that group when she refused to vaccinate her child, uh, when she had arguments with her doctor and her relatives and all these other people. And she would report back into the group and say, I did this and I did that. And then they'll, you know, celebrate her and she'd feel her boost in status and it would encourage her to go out and, you know, do that more. And, and so, so I think, the, you know, the, the, these are the groups, the, these kind of belief-based groups that are, that, that are um, you know, that, that can be dangerous. I mean, you know, there's all this very kind of toxic debate at the moment about gender identity, the J.K. Rowling stuff. Mm. They, they're status games that the J.K. Rowling people and the kind of, you know, and the people against them all believe that they're morally good people. They all believe they're all trying to, you know, earn status from their group. And, you know, the big caveat here is when, when I'm talking about earning status, it's not a bad thing that, that people do this. It's not, you know, when J.K. Rowling is trying to express her, you know, beliefs around gender online. She's not being a bad person. She's, by doing that, you know, we talk about virtue signaling, but everybody virtue signals. It's, it, you know, it's good that we virtue signal because that's how we express our virtuousness. Mm. So, 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 so but, but, but you can see in these very to- sort of toxic debates, um, both sides believe that they're on the side of the right and both sides believe that the way they're behaving is a criteria for claiming status. They feel good about themselves when they when they do this stuff, um, and, and they're applauded and celebrated by their by their co players in their game when they do this stuff. So it's it's a dangerous game. It's the most dangerous game is morality. You've been um, all around the world and spoken to all sorts of different people from different society types of society for not just this book, but but all of the books that we've mentioned. I mean, what? 
what have you found? What uh, is there any conclusions that you've been able to draw in terms of what type of game is 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 more likely to deliver the sort of you know security and happiness that we all crave? Yeah, well, this has been a big change for me because I'm a you know, I'm a lefty and I've always been a lefty. So it's, so my 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 instinct was always well, virtue games. We've got to be virtuous. We've got to be kind. But then but then you you, you work out that that's all very relative. And actually, the, the the big change that I went through in researching this book was 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 realizing that it's actually success games which have saved the world. You know, success games are are games where we award status for the achievement of some sort of highly specified outcome. Um, so you, you know, um, if you if you're if you're a sports person, you're 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 playing a success game. You're a footballer. It's about goals or you know whatever the person in your position, the football team is supposed to be doing, saving goals, whatever it is. You know, so you know, so that's a success game. And, and um, you know, so what what happened? before the industrial revolution and, and the enlightenment was that was that this little game started to be played across western europe in the early postal system and they called it the republic of letters and it started to be cool amongst this very sort of narrow class of aristocrats and and, and scholars to discover new and useful knowledge and they would start swapping letters describing their discoveries and then they started assessing each other's discoveries and making other people's discoveries even better. And, and this was the beginning of the scientific revolution. You know, this idea that, 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 that I'm going to play a status game, which is about discovery and usefulness. And, and that became the industrial revolution. Uh, you know, it became a kind of fever that overtook the, the you know Britain at the, at the time, you know, this, this fever for discovering stuff and, and solving problems. And that's the beginning of modernity. And that's that's raised, that, that's lifted billions of people out of poverty. That saved the lives of billions of people with kind of vaccinations and you know hospital treatment. And you know, it, it just, it's just unimaginable the good the, the, the success games have done. I'd caveat that with saying that you have to ha you have to have a virtue element in there because the, the the people who are you know playing the best success games in the world are people like Elon Musk. And people like Elon Musk, you know, are, are fascinating and, and, and you know, uh, but they're also kind of sociopaths like people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. They're just going to win. They, they just want to win and they don't care about anything else. And they need to be controlled. I think they need to be reined in by this virtual element, which is about regulation. And, you know, one of the ways that we're failing, uh, I think, as a, as a society in the West, is that we're, we're failing to ensure that these people pay their bloody taxes, you know, for, for all the virtue signaling a company like Apple does. They're, they're amazingly good at avoiding paying, paying their taxes. So, so, so you need that virtue element to make sure that the, the, because these, the people that are running these success games, all they want to do is win. That, that, yeah. They're not. They don't care about about the, about the, about the kind stuff. So, so, so yeah. In the book, I talk about um, success virtue games. You know, vir, you know, success games that are kind of mediated by a fairly strong kind of virtuous code of conduct. Which sounds slightly more New Labour than Thatcherite to me. I don't know what people uh, critics have. have inter there must have been quite a lot of political interpretations of your book, which has been out for a while now. What what has the political interpretation been like? Maybe there's been various ones. To me, well, what you were explaining yeah. then, I was thinking, yeah, well, this sounds pretty Thatcherite, convincing, but you know, not not yeah. the position of lefty. But actually, what you're saying is, I think you know, competition, but with a certain amount of state regulation, 
is is sort yeah. of like you're talking Tony Blair's vision there, aren't you? <laughs> He's caught me out a bit there. I am a bit actually. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't think it was him, but around the time people talked about this idea of neoliberalism with cushions. Yeah, and I think neoliberalism with cushions is is a great idea yeah. because you know I think one of the things that the that the, the left got wrong, and again I speak as a lefty. One of the things the left got wrong is this kind of horror at the idea of competition and at the idea of of, of actually. You know, you've got to reward the Elon Musks of this world, no matter how envious and disgusted we might be by them. You've got to reward them because they're playing a game. And if and if the game is not functional, they're not getting you know awards out of it, then then they're not they're not going to play, or they're going to go somewhere else to play. Um, so, so, so yeah, that, that that's been a big change for me. But but as I say, it's the cushion stuff. I, th- I think is really important. So, and 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 I, you know, I do think that. Um, you know that 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 was a good kind of basic principle by which to run the economies of the West. This idea of yes to encourage competition and to, and and to not feel resentful of people who achieve significant wealth, but to make sure they're controlled, to to make sure that they're not just you know. The, I think the libertarian idea of kind of ultimate freedom is it is an absolute disaster because because what you're not understanding is that the people are going to end up taking over other other. Are the psychos? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Uh, and also, just in the genetic side of things, you know, it, you know, it's just true that some that some people are born with with relatively low IQs. Some people are born with personalities. They're aggressive. They're disagreeable. That they can't function so well in society. And, and you know, and, and you know, they've kind of lost in the lottery of birth. And, and it, I, as a again, as a lefty, think it's not fair that we just disregard these people. Um, uh, who, who, have, who have had the kind of misfortune of a, you know, a bad gene, you know, a relatively negative, you know, unhe- or, don't say bad, but unhelpful gene set, and have had a, you know, dysfunctional upbringing. It's not their fault in that sense. So I think they, these people should be looked after. We need a good social safety net. So that, that, I mean, I'm, I'm veering off the book now and sort of ranting about mm. politics, but that, that's 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 my um, political opinion. Yeah. I think yeah, but it does all feed yeah. into that. I mean, just lastly, before I let you go, I mean. You talk about how these status games lead to almost ceaseless, um, you know, uh, almost ceaseless sort of highs and lows for for an individual. For your, you know, the human experience is just punctuated by massive highs and and huge huge lows. I mean, how how have you as a as a successful writer navigated that through your life? What have you learned as researching this book to help help you deal with that stuff more? And also, when we play these games and we hit the highs that we've sort of set as goals for ourselves, is it is it not quite common? Because I think it has been for me is that you you hit sometimes the target that you set out to hit, and it doesn't really deliver the high, and then you start to question the game. How have you learned? What have you learned about these games in your own experience? Well, yeah, I've learned to I, I've learned to be able to kind of watch my brain in action. I think you, you can't ever stop playing it. It's never going to stop mattering to me how well my books are received and how well they're selling. But but it's also knowing that you know the, the, the stuff that's underneath that that my brain's panicking about. Am I going to be able to survive? You know, if the books don't sell, which is kind of silly. Um, so, so, so it's kind of helped me in that in, in that sense that that I kind of understand myself better. Um, uh, yeah, so, so, so I, I think that, that that that's the kind of um, uh, kind of kind of main takeaway. But but yeah, I, 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 it, it still is never going to stop mattering t- to me because because it, it can't. You know, you, you can't rid yourself of the status game. It's in there. It's how we experience reality.
But is it possible to control like the extremes? I suppose is what I'm saying. Because if you get too embroiled in games, and we've all done it, certainly when we were younger, we get so embroiled in whatever status game it is that matters to you at that time. Might depend on your work or your social circle or, or whatever, all the things that you've outlined, you know. You can get so embroiled in it that you can just be in a never-ending cycle of highs and lows. It is possible, isn't it, as you get older to sort of like level that stuff out a little bit and for, yeah, it to, yeah. for you to make it matter slightly less? Well, I think, I think I mean, I don't have any children, but but anecdotally, it seems that having children helps, you know, because it, it, it takes your focus away from your own status and onto theirs. Mm. Um, uh, um, but but, but you, I don't think you can ever stop the highs and the lows because that is life, you know, and you're completely right that, that you know, when, when we get some goal we've always dreamed of, it's great for about 10 minutes and then we're, Ooh, I want the next thing now because mm. it's a status game. And, and we, you know, we always want more, you know, when psychologists try to find where our need for status levels off, they can't find it. It doesn't level off. Like we always want to ratchet up. And even if we're Paul McCartney and we've had like unimaginable levels of status, mm. he's still releasing records. He still cares, you know, mm. about what people think of him. Um, uh, he's still reading his reviews, I imagine. So, 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 so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I expect the great highs and lows come with youth partly because, when we're adolescent, when we're in our twenties, we're, we're extremely interested in our status because we're just finding our way in the world mm. and it's all new and we're not established. We don't have much status, relatively speaking, unless we're like a celebrity or a sports star. Um, but then as you know, we, we, I think, I think the, the, one of the good things about middle age is that, is that, you know, I think about my forces as the age of expertise. Like I, I know what I'm doing now. I know what I should be pursuing. I'm not looking there and looking there and looking there for different games I can play. I'm focused. And, and so, so, so that kind of takes away a lot of the, scary highs and the terrible lows i think is is, is when you you know you, you get going into your game in middle age mm. and i suppose you'd say that the fact that we aren't satisfied when we hit our targets is broadly speaking a good thing as well it's been a good thing for the world is that it, what it means is is that we're less likely to be complacent and we keep as a, as a species driving forward yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not very nice for us. I, I, you know, I, yeah. I, in the book, I say that kind of our need for status, our, the, our, sort of the unquenchable need for status kind of robs us of, of the possibility of reliable happiness. You know, so it's, it's on a personal level. It's, 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 it's awful that, that it doesn't work, that, mm. that we imagine when I get this, I'm going to be happy. And we're never happy. It's a nightmare. I wish it did work. But on the level of society, it's incredible because it, it's, what, it, what, it's what keeps us pushing and pushing and pushing. I mean, even Adam Smith, the, you know, the, the Enlightenment father of the market economy, that we think of as the kind of granddaddy of capitalism itself, even he, uh, you know, said that it wasn't money that motivated people. It was status. It was the need. It was the desire for people to celebrate us and respect us and value us. That's what drives economies and drives people forward. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's almost like, so what we're here for might not be, after all, our own at the pursuit of our own individual happiness. In fact, what we're all here for is to just drive us as a sort of species forward and and make us survive and thrive and maybe we need to just let go of the idea that that the whole point of us being here is to somehow find happiness or or contentment we're just part of this bigger thing yeah that's a that's a that's a really inspiring way of seeing it sam yeah that, that, that's right no, it <laughs> I is. Thought it's quite bleak yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i thought oh, it was no, the no. opposite i'm saying like, like give up on happiness it's a it's a false <laughs> errand well, it, well, I say it's reliable happiness. It's like it's, it's like permanent happiness. And there was a, there was a really funny study where that where one of the I write in the book where one of the um, psychologists asked super rich people like multi multi millionaires, 
how much money is it going to take for you to be perfectly happy? And, and no matter how much they had, they all replied about two to three times as much money. And it's like, wow. you're never going to be perfectly happy, yeah. but they all believed it. And, and that's what kept driving them forward. And, and, and you know, and, and, you know, I, I do think it, we overstate sometimes this idea that money doesn't make you happy because, you know, pleasure is nice and money, well, it eases the stresses of life and you get moments of pleasure when you, when you've got money. And so, 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 you know, it's not, not everything is status pleasure, pleasure exists, you know, independently of status. So, so, so certainly we can, we, we can experience great moments of achievement, connection, pleasure, but, but I like this idea that, 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 you know, the greater purpose is, is that we're all driving this great human project onwards. And, 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 and I think that's certainly true. Brilliant. Well, it's always such a pleasure and so interesting to speak with you. And thanks ever so much for your time. Thanks for having me on again, Sam. Can't wait till the next time. Well, that was Will Storr, a fascinating bloke, talking about a fascinating subject. I must say he makes a convincing case for the importance of status and competition. But I admit I find the idea that we're programmed to constantly compare ourselves to others a little bleak. Letting go of comparisons is really difficult, but doing so is very important to being more content and relaxed in your life. Perhaps the key is just to be choosy about who and what you compare yourself to. Anyway, Will's book, The Status Game, is out now. I can highly recommend it. I will add it to the reset book list, which you can find at bookshop.org. Please subscribe to the reset at samdelaney.substack.com where you can get access to all of my weekly newsletters, podcast archive and more. I hope you all have a happy new year. Until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.